Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways cars connect us. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is The Car Debate. We had quite an interesting weekend, or I had quite an interesting weekend, but we started it with a bang. We did. We happy, did. happy Tuesday to all of you. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Last Friday, you and I did something we don't do very often. Except we did it the month prior. We did, but 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 typically we only <laughs> do we it don't. about right. twice a year, and yes. that is we take our own cars to a track day. Correct, yes. Because honestly, with everything else we're doing and with the opportunity, and this sounds so spoiled, I don't mean it to. We are very blessed in this regard. The fact that we have the opportunity to get on track at other times of the year in other people's cars we don't often seek out track days in our own cars. Right, right. But we had the chance to go, and we went again a month ago. This is a, a, a unique kind of private track day with a race uh, performance shop. Okay, so right, there's not right. very many people on track. It's not a NASA thing and that kind of thing. Because it was that, <laughs> I asked them a weird question, which began my very strange fatherhood weekend. I haven't told you a lot. You of this, haven't told actually. me any yeah. of this. You've mentioned, you've alluded to this. But yeah, it's, it was a very interesting. Very, it was one of those fatherhood weekends where I was navigating and learning as I went. Which is, let's be honest, that's pretty much every day of fatherhood. But uh, this was very interesting because <laughs> my son is ten and he yeah. is car obsessed. But we, yes. what, what I realized yes. this weekend is we're in an we're in a big observational phase for him, and for a kid okay. that talks as much as he does. It's hard to see that he's doing that because he's still talking a ton. He's my kid, okay? But he's really observing me right now. Because sometimes I don't think he is because he's talking so much. Yes. He's not listening. He's not absorbing. And I don't see him doing mm-hmm. that. He's he's watching me a lot right now. Really? I think more than I realized. Really? And this weekend, and I'll tell you, I'll give you some stories if you're up for it. I'll give you some stories. Okay, okay. Because there were ranges of it. And the reason I bring it up related to this track day, for all of you listening, you didn't know this, I took my son. On track. Yeah. I didn't let him drive. But I took my son on track. <laughs> Here's key, he, son. He rode right seat. Yeah. Now, a lot of times in, in sanctioned track days, that is not okay. But right. this was like, you know, there were like four or six other cars on the track, you know, and I had a helmet and, for him and he sat right seat and we went. And you were killing it out there. I, I was enjoying myself. I was over here in the Cayman enjoying myself. You and I both were having I've, – I've thought – actually, there's a snippet I should show you, Paul. There's about a three or four minute snippet of each of us. Yeah. Having a takedown with a far more powerful car. Oh, good. And I'm tempted to put them back to back and to post them on YouTube. You know what? Why not? Because we weren't doing any commentary. We were just running the cars and enjoying ourselves. And no. That way we can be faster, actually. If we're not commentating, we're actually faster. You say that. I was talking constantly. Oh, that's true. You were I talking. I my son to, with me. You were and here's what's crazy. Son. That's right. That's I, right. I took one of our little audio setups, okay? Was running just one camera over my shoulder. with yeah, a little audio yeah. setup. And I set it up in such a way that I had the mic on. And he had the, the headphones. So he okay. had the monitor because right. in the Lotus, I've got a full face helmet on. The Lotus is crazy loud. You're the screaming. windows are yeah. down. Yeah. You can't hear a thing I'm saying. But he could because of the mic. It's interesting because you mentioned he liked to be talked to through the track day. He liked to be explained what you were yes. doing, sort of calling the shots, calling your corners. Yes. Before you took them, which was fascinating to me. Agreed. You agreed. also mentioned that he didn't enjoy the sessions where you didn't have the mics running. We had we did five sessions. The first session he had the mic and he wasn't sure if he needed it or not. Second session we didn't take it 
And he realized that any time he could hear me, it was because I, he, I was wearing the mic and he had the headphones in. And so he just kind of sat in silence, unable to communicate the whole second session, and he didn't like that. Interesting. So then the rest of the sessions, I wore the mic, and he had the headphones, and I just kind of talked him through what I was doing. And it was, it was total momentum driving because I'm the little guy out there, the little yellow Lotus Elise, and everything out there had more power than me. Yeah, it's, that's interesting to me because I, I can see, I guess, you and I – understand the line and we're, you know, we're out there for the most part understanding what we're doing, but he doesn't have any references to the difference between street and track driving. So I can, I guess I can understand why he appreciated and liked to be talked through because street driving, riding with you, riding with, you know, your wife, his mom, mm-hmm. it, it's doesn't compare. Mm-hmm. And so he has no idea what to expect and what the motions of a car going fast on track are. And so I, I guess I can see that. That's interesting. And the other thing about it that was unique is because he he's 10. And so my car looks like a supercar. And when I was 10 and he has a 10-year-old, what are you obsessed with? Well, what's the car that's fastest? Yeah. And then you have yeah. to, as we as adults and all of you listening have to qualify based on what? Based on price, based on zero to 60, based on how fast you go to 200, based on how fast you go around a corner. Fastest based on what? Right, right. We want to qualify. Kids just want to know what's the fast one. So what he and I've talked mm. about a lot, and it wasn't until we did this track day that it really landed for him. Is I've talked a lot about, buddy, most cars are faster than this Elise, but right. let's go do a corner. And so we chewed on some big boys because we chewed on them in the corners. And so, so I talked him through that. So it's, it's know, an interesting, it's it was an interesting so piece. I, again, I may post it. So that was Friday and that was fantastic. You And you were killing it out there. I, my favorite well, moment, I have to tell a story on Paul. Okay. Paul was playing tag with a big LS monster, and he proceeded to take them down. Well, this is the, what we have video of. He proceeded to take them down. It was a Factory 5. The, the GTM, their supercar thing. Yeah, their the, supercar looking. They're going to mid-engine yeah, LS motor thing. LS yeah. motor, yeah. Paul proceeded to take them down. Now, Paul's in his 982 GTS with, what do you have on there, tire-wise? I've got the PS4s. I got a brand new set of Michelin PS4s. Yeah, brand new. The, pa- they Paul were was, not cheap. They don't give these tires away. No, they don't. Paul was breaking in his PS4s on this track day, which yes. is hysterical. My wife said, "Didn't he just buy those tires?" And I said, "Yeah, that's what they're for. That's what they're for. <laughs> you buy tires, you use them." I don't it's understand. A consumable. Right? But Paul took down this um, this car, mm-hmm. and then we wound up in the same garage between sessions. Yeah, yeah. And the owner, not knowing Paul was in the Cayman, <laughs> said to me, "Who was in that blue Porsche? They were fast." And I said. That guy. <laughs> At which point he turned to Paul and he went, oh, that was you? And Paul went, yeah. And he said, what do you have under there? And Paul went, it's just stock. Nothing. <laughs> it's just he, – he was convinced yes. you had somehow tweaked that car to be a bullet. And I was just – and I didn't say it, but I was just thinking, no, no, he just drives it really well. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we're I, fast. Yeah, that was, that was an interesting lesson. You know, you, you see all kinds of cars. Generally speaking, the assumption is if it's a kind of a beat up Miata, they're going to take you down probably because they're fast and they know what they're doing. If it's some exotic thing, you think, oh, they're going to be amazing. Maybe not. Maybe. True. True. Maybe. But usually not. It's usually the ratty beat up sports car Mm -hmm. that has a track camber adjustment and they know exactly (laughs) what they're doing. You look close and, oh, you're on just, you know, basic DOT rubber that, you know, barely above streets back and. They're going to take you down. So it's it's pretty interesting to learn. And I I know that's what your son was doing. And I I know that when we're riding with an instructor, we're mm-hmm. on hot laps, wherever yeah. that is, we're talking ourselves through the lap going, okay, yes, here's how I position yeah. the car. Oh, yeah, I yeah. see you're doing that. Oh, okay, wow, you just tucked that corner faster than I ever thought was mm-hmm, possible. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I, you know, you're, you're on the line. 
I think we're both thinking to ourselves, yeah, that makes sense. And <laughs> okay, good to know. And you can take that even faster. Awesome. Totally. Your son doesn't have any of that going in his true. head because he's never been on track before. True, true. I didn't get to be on track when I was 10. I didn't be on track when I was 20. So <laughs> what a huge opportunity for him to ride with you yeah. on an unsanctioned track day. It was mm-hmm. called a tenant track day is what it's called. It's a gift of the track yeah. to all the people who rent the shop space out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just said, hey, you know, who are your clients? Come on out. Yeah, Run 30-minute yeah. sessions, open pit lane, mm-hmm. Have at it. It was really fun. So we had a great time. He had a spectacular time. I'm so glad. He would not. Now, he doesn't shut up much anyway, but he would not shut up at a great time. What a great time. I'm so glad. But that was just the beginning of our weird parenting weekend. Okay. Okay. Because then the next day, we did a bike ride. Now, you know it. It's Glen Wild, which is a hard ride. Yeah. yeah, He requested it. He did? Because we've done it one other time, and it's the hardest ride we do. It's rocky. It's tough. He's There's usually sections. complaining about it. Yes. I'm usually complaining yes, about it. Yes, I'm usually complaining about it. There's sections of it that are tough every time that end up kicking me off, and I have to walk a bit yeah. every oh, single yeah. time because of rocks and stuff in, in the trail. He wanted to do Glen Wild, so we worked our way on that. Now, he's. I like to let him lead, but he leads at about half to two-thirds the speed I want to sure. go. So at some point, sure. it just becomes maddening when you want to keep momentum on a hill. So every now and then, I pass him just like, I got to get up this hill before right. I fall over. Right. Right. So we did a lot of that. but. He was very interested. Both times we've done Glen Wild all the way around. It's a 10-mile ride, very rocky and steep in places. He's very intrigued by the places where I admit that I need to get off the bike. Mm. That that justifies oh. for him that it's hard. Make sense? Okay. Because he sees me. When I get past him, I leave him because I'm faster than he is. Okay. I've but got a question for you, but, but continue. But the places where... I get off the bike because it's hard for me or it's it stymied me. He's very intrigued by where those places are. So this was our second father-son moment okay, of the weekend. Okay. What was your question? Keep going. That is, is he transitioning to requesting harder things now? Because for a long time, I'd join you guys on bike rides and we do the easiest thing and even the slightest uphill, he'd be complaining. So is this actually making him request harder things now by observing all this thing? Like well, more of an adventure, more of a challenge? My, my wife has said that because it's a ride that we can do from our house that I like, he very much wants to like it because we can just leave our driveway okay, and go. Okay. But it's a hard ride. Yeah. And so, oh, yeah. but what I realized the first time he did it, and it played off in the second one, I realized the first time he did it, is that knowing that it's hard for me to helped him hunker down. Hmm. Something about me just being breezy about it and it hurting for him made him, made him want to give up. But seeing me struggle... Made him go, oh, so it's just genuinely hard, I guess, because that made him connect with it differently. So the second time we did it, he knew that it was hard. He knew that I had sections where I walk it out to walk up a crazy rock outcropping or something. And so he'd ask, he'd be like, so where's that next spot where you get off? Those were his questions. Interesting. So that was our second day. Then the third day of the weekend had two heavy hits. First off, we go to Cars and Coffee. Ended up talking with, uh, well, you you know Kyle and Dan. Okay, Ended up talking with them. Sure, sure. Uh, our whole conversation, I had half the words. My son had the other half. And I was. they told me at one point, they were like, he's your third host. Because he was saying stuff about every car you can imagine that we were standing near. We know. We can sit him in this podcast studio, close yes. the door, and come back in an hour. Yes. And you guys will still be laughing. And yeah. then it was Blair and Chris. Thanks, guys. It was really cool to talk to you. Talking to Blair and Chris for a while. Same kind of thing. Right. Where half the conversation about what we'd done that weekend and the track day and the cars right and the on. cars and coffee, right it was on. all my little man talking about it. Oh, funny. So that was Sunday morning where I'm seeing him but now. you're hearing his perspective. Exactly. It's through him, not I'm, from you. I'm seeing him, if you will. Like his favorite thing is to tell the story of us shooting the Salt Flats video. 
That's his, that is his go-to card. Really? He loves to tell that story because he was there. He was helping a shoot. So he loves to tell yes. that story. So he was now telling stories like I do about cars. And then, as if we weren't done, <laughs> okay. I was just, I was, I, I was watching the sponge and absorbing person that he is right now, okay. in spite of all his words. Last night, we watched a concert from a musician we actually all like. Okay. Okay. And we hit on, they, they played this one song. And side note, side rant. I know I'm going on a rant here anyway, but side rant. I feel like we all go through stages with music in our life where, for whatever reason, some random song just skewers you. Mm-hmm. That sure. song, and it could have been a song you've heard a million times and now it skewers you. It could have been a song you've never heard and for whatever reason it filters in your life and it just guts you. Okay. It speaks right okay. to where you are. And here's the thing. In another situation, it might be a stupid song. It's yeah. just for whatever reason, that song is speaking right to you right now. Okay. This musician played a song of theirs that I am connecting with that way right now. It, it, it cuts me to the core. Really? So it started and I went, oh, he's playing this one. This one's so tough. And my wife and somebody looked at me and went, what, does it make you cry? And I said, yeah. It does. Really? And then while I watched the song, yeah. I was so aware of this, my son watched me. You're kidding me. The entire time. Oh, my gosh, man. So I had to be very aware and not self-conscious to try to let, let it affect me as it's affecting me now, okay. but know that I am being proactively watched like a hawk. Interesting. It was a weird father weekend. I'm just walking through knowing I'm being watched. Oh, interesting. Wow. Well, I'm so Welcome glad. Welcome to Cars. That, uh, yeah, back to Cars. <laughs> I, no, honestly, I'm so glad it affected him like it did. I mm. love that little guy. He's uh, He will mow you down with words, but I Big just time. I love that the emotion comes out of him. Mm. And it just, every time we asked him, how did it? How'd you do? How was it? He came over to me for hugs multiple times. Just did he? Thanks for having me. I had the greatest time. Yeah. I know he loved being there because all the stuff that we kind of take for granted. We've been to enough track days. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it, where we're just sort of like the thing that we this would gloss over with you, the audience. Mm. Be like, yeah, it was fine. You know, I missed my line on that corner, but whatever. I did it good here. He was blown away that a car could do that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the fact that we're thinking, constantly talking about tire pressures. We're constantly talking about air pressures through the whole day. (laughs) You're right. You know, the ambient temperature, the track temperature, how's your car? We come back in, everything's hot. You know, Mm -hmm. we're constantly talking about air pressure. These things, I doubt even occurred to him. Nobody ever talks about air pressure in your car. You might check it. Well, never, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting. Well, thanks for sharing, Matt. I I love hearing that stuff. I love hearing what he thought, you know, I'd love asking well, him, but it was fun to kind of hear the backstory. Too. Yeah. Hearing his perspective on the track day and all the stuff he's learning about cars. It's interesting to watch it get regurgitated and, and see it come through his perspective. But this is, I mean, this is what I am discovering about fatherhood is I am bumbling along and being watched. And I'm trying <laughs> to be not only aware of that, but also respect that appropriately. You know, it's it's sure. weird. I was so glad we could share that track day with him. He had ridic- He will not shut up about it, which is great. But he will not <laughs> shut up about track day. The next one, probably. He's he's pretty much told me. He said, "Dad." Then he said, "Dad, the next time you're going on one of these, you don't have to ask me if I want to come. You just tell me when we're going." Are you serious? <laughs> exactly. Oh my god! Verbatim. He said, "He said you don't even have to ask. You just tell me when we're going." <laughs> oh man, I love it. We're longtime users and big believers in Griot's Garage car care products. That's because while many other brands are just rebranded versions of the same few products, Griot's Garage has developed, manufactured, and bottled bespoke car care since 1990. 
Griot's is also a family company based in Washington State, and they're dedicated to having the best products for every car and budget. In fact, Paul learned his crazy certified Paul-owned car care from Griot's. Now is the best time to tune up your car care routine. Foaming requires little to no work, and it also avoids some wash-induced scratches. It's the safest way to wash your ride. Try out the Griot's Garage Foaming System Complete Kit today and see what the foam is all about. Griot's Garage products are 100% guaranteed, and all liquid products are made right here in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code EVERYDAY for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else on your order. That's Griot's, G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Well, uh, guys, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. There is a Cayman Generations piece. You know how much I love Caymans. We bit. drove all three generations, but this was before the 4.0, the 4-liter GTS mm-hmm. and GT4 were newly introduced by Porsche not too long ago. So this is the 987R, it came in R, and then the 981, my car, mm-hmm. and then the 718 GTS, which still had the flat 4, so it still had the 4-cylinder. But the reason we had the R was because the 987 generation never had a GTS flavor. The True. R was it. True. It was so the all they three got. of yeah, these. Sure, yeah. And uh, that is now on the main YouTube channel. And there are more reviews coming. We're actually just out shooting today. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, on the second YouTube channel, the way to find that very easily is go to everydaydriver.com. And the second tab over is YouTube. And then you can choose which channel you want to go to. Think of the second one as drive homework. And we're helping you out with decision-making and giving you our impressions. And it's not just stats. I appreciate those of you who have written to us saying, guys, we can all read a stat sheet. Totally. We want to know your impressions and maybe a little bit of commentary on where this fits in the overall Mm -hmm. market and just, Mm -hmm. you know, a little bit of a headspace and 30,000 foot view level of this particular car in the world of cars Mm -hmm. is always helpful. And so that's our goal. I don't ever want to spit stats back at you and here it is. And here's a, I want to tell you, do I like it? Do I hate it? Should you consider this? Is it feasible? Is it viable? Is it worth looking at? That's my headspace. Well, we have two cars in your, in your uh, driveway right now. And one of them is about 20 grand and the other one is about 150 grand. So we cover it all on the test drive videos channel. We'd love to have you with us. Thank you for that. We have a really cool topic Tuesday coming up, followed by a car debate from uh, Stephen writing in from Tennessee. The topic Tuesday is automotive hypochondria. Robbie B in Seattle, Washington writes to us, With this question, the long version is that Robbie recently started getting more serious about autocross with his daily driver 2017 Volkswagen GTI. He says it's good fun, but he's hindered by constant anxiety that he's harming the car by driving it so spiritedly. (laughs) Okay, all right, all right. He's constantly listening for sounds of the engines, brakes, suspension failure, and he says it makes it tough to improve as a driver. Logically, he knows that autocross conditions are probably within or barely outside the envelope the manufacturer intended for the car, That doesn't really seem to help. Robbie's meticulous about maintenance on the car and hopes to keep it for years to come. Any advice? And I love this topic Tuesday in light of our recent tenant track day where Mm -hmm. we took our own cars (laughs) and went and beat Mm -hmm. on them. And both of them just ran. They -hmm. were great. The only question is, how fast are we chewing through tires? Yes. That's and really the yes. Ah, brakes and fuel. Fuel's expensive at the track. Be it careful. Is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 110 octanes, 10 bucks a gallon. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> we didn't use that. No. <laughs> Stuck with 91 and it was still wickedly exactly. expensive. Yes. I love this question, Robbie, and I have many ways of answering it. It took me a while to get over my own automotive hypochondria. Mm-hmm. I admit I had it early on as mm-hmm. a teenager and through my 20s. Just I, I don't want anything to happen to my car and I 
it's taken, I guess, driving a lot of cars and I guess years of experience. Not that I've flip flopped them at the opposite. Like, yeah, sure. Bounce it off Whatever. the wall, yeah. crash it. Dang it. I don't care. We'll ball it up and throw it away and get another one. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I take meticulous care of them, wash them. Yes, you do. But I do drive them hard now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm thrilled that I do. And in a weird way, I got this with both of our cars. I know you have this feeling too, Todd. Mm-hmm. And that is I felt like I was getting the most out of life. I was suddenly mm. living life to the fullest. I know that sounds cheeseball. Here it is. I've got this Cayman GTS mm-hmm. and I drive it on canyons and I drive for the show and we drive it. Yeah. But then we took it to the track and I, I did the thing for which it was designed mm-hmm. and everybody says, yeah, they're good on track. Good on you yeah, know, street, fair point, fair point. especially yeah, yeah. GTS. That's why I love the GTS flavor of everything. Yeah, yeah. And I just driving on track at one point I was just going, yeah, I just feel like I'm using what I got. I'm thankful mm-hmm. for it mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm getting the most out of it. I'm using it. I'm not at the ragged edge because I'm not a paid racing driver to go find the the win <laughs> and therefore, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, risk having an off or risk, you know, crashing into a wall, but I'm driving it hard and fast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just felt I was living in a way. I know it sounds cheesy, but you and I also I talked about the fact it, that but. we enjoyed for the salt flats piece taking those sedans out of our garages, driving them to the salt flats and driving on the salt flats. And in a similar way, it's not the same, but in a similar way. There should way, be a category. I agree. Start it up in your garage, yes. drive it to the salt flats. What's your top speed? Yep. Drive it home. There's yeah. a category the, for that. The Speed Week Garage Edition. Don't is just, check I drove the oil it. or no, anything. Tire just, pressures are irrelevant. Up. Just go. You just showed up. It was awesome. Hammer down. But it was a similar thing with this track day. We drove those cars from our houses yeah. clean, put numbers on the side, drove them all day on track. They came off covered in rubber and gunk and nasty and hot and awesome blew through a tank of fuel and more yeah and drove them home and there's something satisfying about using the tool at the upper edges of what it can do there's something very satisfying about that now there is look i'll play back into this though the thing for me robbie is i am aware of the fact that i feel like i can stomach two maybe three hard track days a year in the lotus because what I don't want From it to a be cost perspective. Yes. Yeah. I don't want it to yeah. be a money pit of I need tires and brakes and all that again. And also I don't want it to be so beat up that it just looks like a track car. Right. There's what is the fine balance mm-hmm. there? And we're having discussions in the pit. So we're sitting in this garage. They've got some couches out there and we're sitting amongst the race cars that are stored at this garage. Yeah. 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 Some people are suggesting like, yeah, you're, you know, your stock setup on the Cayman, you should get a, a track camber adjustment. I'm thinking, yeah, that'd be great. I wouldn't, quite use my tires quite so fast mm-hmm. and they're expensive yes they are what about getting an 18s you know going down and you know a little bit lighter wheels and tires and just change them out for track and i'm thinking oh the cost and all this mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. but i thought well i'm not using the car on track nearly enough to justify starting to turn it into a track car mm-hmm. even though i love doing it but then when i'm on track here it is chewing through brakes and tires because i'll tell myself i'll just tiptoe around the track this time <laughs> No, you I'll won't. just I'll just back it off in the first turn, left turn, and no, <laughs> no, because then I'm out there and I'm going. Well, let's see what she can do. Yeah, and the yeah, tires, yeah. I feel the heat coming into the tires, the grip changes. Well, yes, get after it. Mm-hmm. Take that corner, and I'm like, ah, I paid for that one. That was that was like fifteen bucks right there in that corner. <laughs> tires, <laughs> burning through the tire. Okay, all right. The feeling that I came away with was incomparable. And I love there being out with you and having a ball and knowing that fun. your son was with you and cackling the whole time in yes, your headphones. And I just was going, this is awesome. Yeah. Robbie, to your question, you're using a machine and you're using it as it was designed. And I think 
in general, the machines in our life are generally built to withstand more than we put them through. Not always, but just in general. Machines are tested like crazy. You get into something like a car that has extra safety standards and these kind of things, and the stuff that it is designed to handle is typically far more extreme than you're putting it through. Then if you buy a performance version of something, they know brakes, tires, heat, it's going to be beat on even further. Now, you're talking about your GTI. Now, that means you didn't take your base golf out there. Yeah. It's more robust than your base golf. Sure. Every time I drive the Lotus, granted, it does this on the street too, but every time I drive the Lotus on track, there's a weird new thump. There's a creak I didn't hear before. Yeah. There's a rattle now happening. Yeah. But I take the, and this may sound weird, but I take the demeanor of this. I know that the Elise was designed to be able to handle tracking. Mm-hmm. I know it was. Yeah. I know it can take it. I know the GTI can handle it across all day long. Your GTI is fine. Yep. yep. So, I try to walk that line in my headspace, and it's not like, hey, money free for all, but I try to walk that line in my headspace of, I know this was designed to take this. So if something breaks, it's not because I was bad. It's because that part wore out. Yeah. I have 70,000 miles on my Elise now, which is kind of a high mile Elise. Which is high. And I realize that I have doubled the mileage of it in the three-plus years I've owned it. I've doubled the mileage. I love that car. Okay, And I've tracked it a couple times every year. And I know, I just know in my mind that tracking is expensive and eventually driving it at the edges is going to break something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I try to keep in my mind, and I want to give this to you, Robbie, and really have you think this way. If you break it, it's because it wore out. It's not because you were too hard on it. Yeah, Cars are machines. Yeah. Machines break. So, And as long as – here's the big thing that I think is hard for all of us when we take our tra- car to the track for the first time – those tires that were going to last you years aren't going to last you years anymore. Just acknowledge the fact that I'm going to need tires and brakes, yes. and that's the pay to play. Yeah, that whole 70,000 miles out of these set of tires. Nope, nope, not out of the ones that I want to yep. really get after it. Robbie, three more things here, and that is, first of all, you don't want to own a car that owns you and not enjoy it for what it's designed to do and what you know it can handle. I want to encourage you because the first Cayman that I had, the 987 after I got it, then I found out about the IMS issue. And I went, did I just screw myself? Did I just yeah. pour all my money down the drain? Am I an idiot? Mm. What did I do? And it freaked me out. Mm. And the more I dug in, there was a point where I thought, I'm screwed. This, thing, this car is going to fail. I'm glad I have a job because, wow. Mm. And then I kept digging in. And then people would say, well, you know, if your engine blows, guess what? You get a new one. <laughs> This is your opportunity to get a new one. I was like $15,000 for a crate motor. And then I found out more people are doing it for less. And then I thought, well, shoot, if my engine does fully let go, well, I'm, I'm, I got this community. I, I can reach out to people and it's probably not going to be as bad as I think. And actually, this could be a cool opportunity to build up a motor that I want. I can add a turbo. And, and then my attitude totally changed. And then I started driving the car even more. And you know what? That car never blew up. No, it never did. I sold it as is, and yeah. it was fine, and mm-hmm. that owner mm-hmm. moved it to Montana, and then he drove it for another 30,000 miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he got a GT4, but nothing <laughs> ever happened to it. Yeah. And I went, well, shoot, I should have just done that from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Second thing is driving your car forever. Can we drive our cars forever? Well, my brother-in-law has discovered Saab. Saab doesn't exist. <laughs> so I love how we keep coming back to the quarter million miles Saab. Saying, keep going. You know, parts and service. He's found a great local mechanic that, crazy enough, loves Saabs and has worked on them and has experience. So funny. That is a rare thing. Yeah. His attitude is like, you know what? I got it for 1500 bucks. I love it. Mm-hmm. If it goes, I'll crumple it up and throw it away and get an, you know, he'll get another one. But of yeah. course, you know, I'm going, 
What a great attitude. He's just enjoying driving. And by the way, he's discovered turbocharging, and he showed it to me. I recently visited, and he said, I left it in second gear up the hill. Instead of upshifting to third, it drags the engine. I left it in second gear. I'm like, yeah, you're on boost. It's awesome. Welcome to Turbo. I, I thought it was so great. Well, but back to Matt Farah's Million Mile Lexus, which, by the way, cost him a lot of money. Yeah. The, he got it to a million miles. He did the last 100,000 miles when he bought it. Okay, He bought it for about, I mean, you, most of you heard this story, but he bought it a few years back as a laugh at 900,000 miles on the clock and thought, I'm going to take this to a million. And the initial thinking, him and everybody else, is it's a Lexus LS. It's just going to run. It's just going to run. Yeah. And he put multiples of what it cost him to buy that car to get it through 100,000 miles. He just kept putting like money many into Many thousands it. of dollars. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Like, I could have bought another car, like a decent new car. For <laughs> what was I thinking, kind of? But money. at the same time, he wanted to see it through. But the point I'm making here is this is considered to be one of the best designed, most reliable cars ever. In 100,000 miles, it costs thousands upon thousands. But if you keep throwing parts at it, it'll keep running. Theoretically, that is every car on the planet. Theoretically. But then we yeah. all, at some point, go stop the pain and we move on. <laughs> or LS swap because I can't find any more parts for my Saab, so yes. I need to put a Chevy motor in it so yes. it'll keep running. But or we need a new experience because I listen to the Everyday Driver podcast <laughs> right. and these guys have said, why are you still in that car? All of these <laughs> things are factors. Last thing here, Robbie, and that is a friend. He told me a story about his parents. His dad had four cars but only allowed his wife, my friend's mom, to only drive one of them. And the other two cars kind of sat, and he wouldn't allow her to turn on the air conditioning in one of the cars. I'm sorry, what? Because he didn't want it to break. He's like, don't use it. It'll stop working if I use it. We need to introduce this person to $5,000 Phaetons. Go yeah. on. Sorry. Yeah. Then his dad turned on the air conditioning one time, and it was broken, and he got all angry because it wasn't used. And so the more things are used, especially cars, the better they work. I know that's crazy. Porsches are a prime example of it. It is weird. The harder you drive them, the more you thrash on them. You think, I'm giving her a good beating today, and it just wants more in a weird way. Well, you've heard the old joke about the Italian tune-up, right? Yes. You take your old 80s Italian car to the mechanic, and what he does is ring it out. There's a slight bit of truth to that Mm -hmm. in a weird way. And so I want to encourage you to drive your car and enjoy it. Don't thrash. I'm not saying go and abuse your car and throw caution to the wind, but I want to give you permission, but I want to encourage you to give yourself permission. Because this friend, his father passed away now, and his mom has moved on and all that stuff. But I was going, you, you wouldn't allow your wife to use your air conditioning? Mm. You Use the air conditioning. <laughs> don't. What are you doing? And yeah. she's like, I don't want it to break. I'm like, that's the wrong attitude. And then it did break. Because of lack of use. <laughs> well, like, no, that was, and so yeah. it was just, it was really frustrating for me to hear that and mm-hmm. going, what backwards thinking. And then he had other cars he didn't use and they didn't run because they were we're, parked. were never run. This is my problem with the cars that sell with eight miles on the odometer and the plastic still on the seats and they're 20 years old. You can't start that car. <laughs> the rubber seals will go. You can't use anything dust. of that car. It will it, now. It literally all it is, is just an investment thing. that may as well be a planter. Yeah. I think that's tragic. One thing you can never have enough of is car stuff, and that's why we love Haggerty Drivers Club. Starting at $45 a year, you'll get six issues of their award-winning Haggerty Drivers Club magazine, chock full of interesting reads and beautiful photos. And you'll get access to members-only live streams on topics like car values, automotive history, and do-it-yourself tutorials. Plus, membership comes with tons of automotive discounts, including a deal of the week, which is always an incredible deal and lasts only a couple of days. If you love cars half as much as we do, this is the club for you. Learn more at Haggerty.com slash Everyday Driver. Stephen M. in Tennessee asks us, is he overlooking the obvious? 
Stephen, thanks so much for writing. Really appreciate your debate. He is a longtime listener and viewer, and he says, this is more information than necessary. Maybe not, Stephen. He simply assumed more was probably better in the pursuit of an interesting segment. It's and only I, a couple scrolls. You did fine. <laughs> I think you're right. Now, he's riding with a car debate where he's 90% sold on the car that he wants. Okay. But panic is setting in as he narrows his sights <laughs> on what seems to suit his budget, okay. his life, and his needs the most. So his purpose in writing is to outline the details and get an outside perspective on whether or not his conclusion makes sense. He's 31, apartment dweller, at least for the next several years, paying off debt, saving for a house, living in the eastern end of Tennessee. He said he's married, no kids, virtually 0% chance of a family in the near future. Okay. He's got a mixed commute, largely suburban or back roads, but he lives in a very nice area with plenty of twisty mountain roads he wishes he could take more advantage of. Okay. All right. Now, get this. He's had the opportunity to own or drive while it's been in his family at least a few enthusiast cars worth noting. And he says he's gotten to drive an 83 Porsche 944, an cool. 87 944 Turbo, Even better. an 81 928, multiple Mercedes sedans of the 80s and 90s, both gas and diesel. Okay. Remember the man, the manual sedans, like diesel, Mercedes? Seriously, manual, like, yeah. That was a thing. Yeah, yeah. Now they're all burning fright oil. Yeah. <laughs> right. 94 Volkswagen Golf GTI, an 89 Honda Civic LX 5-speed. Okay. And he says an 03 Honda Civic Hybrid 5-speed, which exists, although unusual to find. Okay. All right. Now, his dad was obsessed with old German cars, specifically the Mercedes and Porsches. And he says, that was my automotive education with the high school and college period, which is why I look to your son about his automotive education. He is on track early in life. Yeah. How do you get to get on track? He's going to have some interesting experiences as a result of me. But but the interesting thing here, though, is the fact that what he learned as a result of watching his dad have all these German cars is Stephen learned that old German cars are not reliable. So when well, he was down to his own no. money, he was like, I'm not buying that. I'm going to buy the best Japanese <laughs> reliable equivalent of the fun I used to have. I mean, doesn't everything change when it's your own money? Oh, yeah, it does. It's all time. here's mm-hmm. theory and here's what the real thing you know is. It. But now it comes – oh, you're paying for it now? I, I better get a Japanese uh-huh. car, Dad. Thanks. He says – not really given him what he wants in terms of the enthusiast thing. So he says that Civic Hybrid was especially interesting when paired with a manual transmission. He would highly recommend it to anyone who wants a unique experience. But he's also owned two Toyota Camrys in a row, which objectively are dependable cars, but mm-hmm. don't do much to satisfy the cravings either. They're very solid cars. Yeah. They're not enthusiast cars. In an effort to get back to the best of both worlds and to get back what he loved about owning a small hatch... He has landed on buying a gently used 2018 and newer Honda Fit Sport six-speed sometime soon. Those are cool. They They are are cool. cool. And they are a surprising enthusiast car for sure. But is he overlooking anything that might also be available? Which I like the question, but then here's where this goes that makes it difficult. (laughs) All of a sudden, Stephen says, oh, and by the way, I've driven a lot of things and the following are not going to be entertained. Okay. Brace yourself, everybody, because the greatest hits trailer is just about to be put on fire. The Ford Fiesta ST and the Focus ST are out. The 86 chassis, I don't care if it's a BRZ or an 86 or an FRS, it's out. The 500 Abarth, out. The Mazda MX-5 NC. Now, his budget is roughly 17 grand, so that's why we're talking NC. Now, that's third gen. Also out. The Honda CRZ, which I bet you you were going to go to. I was. Maybe. Is also out. Oh and the Golf GTI, gone. So he says, pretty much, guys, Honda Fit with the six-speed. Here's your parameters. Here's what's not available. What am I missing? This just got harder. He says, these are out because of reliability or budget needs or practicality or finance and insurance. 
He wants to keep the vehicle he buys long-term, okay. and anything he gets now would be something to drive daily, allowing him to own and then cycle through weekend cars. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? I like this term, this new term, weekend cars. But that means he's this is the long-term that he doesn't want to have it be boring, but he yes. also wants to keep it cheap and reliable so that he can try things that aren't, that are just for fun. Weekend cars. It's like extra money. <laughs> yeah, that we all have extra money. Weekend it's cars. Just, I got a new weekend like car. Yeah. Oh, yeah? What'd you get? Uh-huh. I'm going to go ahead and say it, Stephen. One of the things we like is when the weekend car becomes the daily. I'm just yeah, putting it out there. Yeah, That's what you really want. By the way, I saw a DeLorean drive to my neighborhood the other day. A DeLorean. What like, year is it? Cruise down my neighborhood. Like, <laughs> what is... Where did that come from? Okay. All right. Fine. Steven, this is this is tough, but I, I am kind of excited because I think there is a car you're overlooking. Are there other cars, he asked, that fit the budget, uncomplicated, have a manual, good to drive, even in a slow car way, practical, and will just work for the foreseeable future? Yes, indeed. I have a couple here. I have, I have three, in fact. These, this is good. Tell you what. I'm going to work towards my car. That I, Great. I love it. I'm, I'm going to keep you in suspense a little bit. I thought of the 2018 Hyundai Elantra GT. Not bad. Hatch. Not bad. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Drives pretty well. In conjunction with that, how about a Civic Si? Mm-hmm. Also drives well. Interesting. I have the Civic Si on my list. I think because of his Honda. Definitely used. It, yeah. Because of his Honda experience, the Civic Si is a great opportunity. The problem is that the current one has atrocious rev hang. It does. It's like a giant 50 million pound flywheel. It's just, it, it, it keeps revving, which is astonishing. Yeah. In spite of that, it is good. And because of your Honda history, I think it's still worth at least driving. Just in case there's an outside chance, Stephen, that you want to wait and pay more money. Okay. The Mazda 3 hatch with a turbo is coming. True, true, true. As of this recording, it's not quite out yet, but it's coming. But I did go shopping. I thought okay. of a car. I think it checks all the boxes. I all think right. it's more fun. And more interesting than the Honda Fit, Okay, it's none of the usual suspects, and it's the lukest of the lukewarm hatches. I'm wondering if you have the same one on your list that I have on mine. You can find them in the blue flame color. Uh-huh. <laughs> I went shopping for a 2019 Toyota Corolla XSE hatchback with a manual, found you one for 30,000 miles, actually 28,000 miles, for 18.5. You got to spend a little bit more, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I do think that's the car. That you're overlooking. That's hysterical because that's my list too. Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding you at all. Oh my gosh. Stephen, here's the thing. The the fit is really solid. I have talked about Agreed. it a lot of times Agreed. on this podcast. It is one of the best uses of space out there in cars, period. I think every man I've said it before, every manufacturer should pull that into the studio and go, What the heck did they do? Because that is <laughs> right. not a big car with a ton of space. Right. You can get it with Honda's really good six speed manual, and now you have this great use of space, great gas mileage. The looks, I think, are a little bit love it or hate it, but they're solid, and it's a decent car to drive fast and quickly and just is going to work. I don't have any problems with the fit. I genuinely don't. I have two others, and one of them you already brought up. One of them is right inside your budget. In fact, with money left over, Hyundai Veloster Turbo. Oh, the turbo. Yeah, that's good. Now, that's the end of the Not first gen. Not as big gen. inside. Not as big inside. But good. But Hyundai Veloster Turbo. That's good. That's, that's just good. solid and it fun, is. and it's going to run. But. I actually do think the Toyota is the answer here. And I say that because you want to keep it long term. Right, right. It's going to be more fun than the fit. 
It has more of an enthusiast flair than the Fit. Yeah. Six-speed manual, modern tech. I think, I know your budget, you told us, your budget is 16.5 on the high side. Yeah, yeah. I'm playing the game you always do, Paul, and that is once people start buying, they start spending more. You found one for 18.5, but I'll tell you something. I look nationwide via Auto Tempest, and if you bring 18 grand, there are options. 2019 and, and just the XSE, the, XSE the manual, right? back with the manual. That's what I looked up. If you if you shop, yeah. I know I've, I've pushed the budget. I know I have. We both have. But if you shop 18 to 20, you have options of these cars, lots of them. And because it's going to be a long-term play, I actually wonder if the stretch is worth it because that Toyota's going to run. Absolutely. I've recommended a Corolla when I used to have no love. Well, all the older Corollas I still have no love for. But still, <laughs> I know it's crazy. I recommended a Corolla. Yes, but well I done. can with confidence. Well done. And I think you'd like that because it would free you up for weekend cars. This is awesome. If you've got a debate just like Stevens or not, please tell us the details where you're at. Tell us what you're dealing with in terms of weather, your life, and what's going on. We love hearing your stories, guys. TV at gmail.com or while you're on the website wondering which button to push to select the different YouTube channels, <laughs> you can go to the About tab. Right underneath that is the Contact button. It goes to the same place. Starting off questions on Instagram from Damon Dickon asking about any insights on jobs that may be lesser known in the auto industry to get around hmm. what Damon loves more than his current industry. Now, he's not asking how to do what we do, but maybe there are some ideas he hasn't thought of. He can't stomach working at a dealership. He wouldn't like it if he were expected to put someone into a car loan now, now that he's tasted the debt-free part of his own car. Interesting. Okay, yeah. Damon, I've got an idea for you. And that is, write me if, uh, if you want more details. That's perfectly fine. I actually have another idea for you, too. But this idea has to do with training. Okay. I met a guy traveling on an airplane a few years back, and he was jetting off to L.A., to train all the dealers and all the salespeople and executives on the new Jaguar I-Pace. Okay. And he said he was part of the team planning 18,000 people's training, getting everybody up wow. to a level, a consistent level where Jaguar, the company, knows they can rely on all these people to have a certain baseline knowledge mm-hmm. of selling the I-Pace. Sure, sure, sure. And it, is, you know, it was a new car then. It was you know new technology. It still kind of is. And people needed to be trained on this mm-hmm. so they could accurately explain it to other people. Totally. And so he was flying off and he said they were in a few rounds, a few months of doing this. And he said he was doing 2,000 people a week. Oh, my gosh. So it was a short program. But sure, he sure. had to get everybody run through the training. Oh, my gosh. And he needed help. He, you know, he had a full team of people to do this. So they are themselves educated. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. either are educated by higher ups, you know, in Jaguar North America, or mm-hmm. they're traveling to the UK to be educated on this car. And then they're now passing on their knowledge and getting them up to speed at the dealership. So they know, so you sure, can rely on sure. when people are asking and you need to know, and people ask, well, have you driven it? Yeah, yeah. The salespeople need to know that there. And so that's what he was doing. That was an entirely separate industry. And that's just one model mm, of that's a good point. one car. That's a good point. That has nothing to do with future electric cars. Well, and that's the, th- the other thing. As cars become even more obsessed with tech and intertwined with tech, and every car has its own user interface, training is required here at a level that it wasn't required before. Yes. That's it. I hadn't thought about that. That's a really good one. I was thinking something around autonomy, but that's still a little ways out. But otherwise, training just in any car. Because you're looking at something hot in the showroom floor, and you ask, well, have you driven that? Mm-hmm. The answer might be no, and more often than not is, well, no. Mm-hmm. Well, then why am I talking to you? <laughs> Tell me something. Go find Help the person that has driven this yeah. that wants to sell it to me and says, oh, 
let me tell you, Audi sent me to the track day and we drove mm, this car mm. and here's how it did. And I was just amazed. And here's why you need to buy it. And what are you considering? What's your budget? Let me help you out. That's the person I want to talk to. If that person exists, that's a very helpful. If person, they exist. Yes. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. But in general, how about the interface itself? Training the trainers is really where that's it's good. Where my headspace is at. That's good. I'm going to transition right off of that because it segues really easily into Rick Dreyer's question on Facebook. He's asking about drive homework. Mm. He and his wife have the terrible problem of having one C8 monetary unit. Ah, yes. And they are shopping between the C8 and the Cayman. And they recently went to a dealer, okay, a Porsche dealer, and walked around for like 20 minutes and nobody spoke to them. Weird. Which I find very odd, but okay. I find very strange, yes. His wife was so turned off by the process, she doesn't even want to consider a Cayman anymore. So oh, his question bummer. is, bummer. how do you deal with a dealer and how do you get test drives and get taken seriously at the dealer? And look, this spirals quickly, Rick, into all of us have got issues where we've had trouble buying a car. And I'm going to tell you something I've said on this podcast before and I think is vital. Please, please do not judge whether you should consider a car or your enjoyment of the car based on your difficulty in buying that car. Agreed. It will be a season that I will be honest, more times than not is a painful season of trying to buy that car. It might be a painful day. I don't know how long it's going to take. Same with houses, by the way. But I was going to come back to houses. Same with because houses. Would you walk away? This was my, thank you for bringing that up because would you walk away from the house that you and your wife found that was perfect, but you really don't like the realtor? So the question becomes, do I want this house? And how long is this painful portion comparatively to how long I'm going to have this thing that I actually really want? Please don't judge your buying experience on whether or not you should consider the car. Yeah. The yeah. flip side of this, and this is not a shot, I promise you, but, I, but I'm going somewhere with this. The flip side of this is Lexus. <laughs> Lexus prides themselves on a great buying experience and a great dealer experience. And what they have done very well with my mother-in-law is almost 30 years of proof. What they've okay. done very well with is people that don't have a specific affinity for a kind of car – bought a Lexus and had such an easygoing dealer experience that they never bought anything else. That's the flip side of what I'm saying. They never bothered Lexus to look figured at it out. Else. Yes, they, they did. Figured it and they out. do it very well. And they make solid cars. That's not the problem. But the point I'm making here is this has happened in used cars. People have written us about this before. The car buying experience, I don't even if you have a great one, some level of it is just painful. Please don't judge the process on that. I would say keep shopping for the cars that you're interested in. Find somebody that will talk to you. Get yourself an actual test drive when you're serious, if you will, fight through the gauntlet for the car, and then you take it home, and then the fun begins. Don't, don't assume that there's going to be any fun until it's yours in your driveway. Now it gets fun. I like that. I like that a lot. On Instagram, we have a note here from Scott A. Stratton. Thank you for writing, Scott. He always laughs when we say we're not financial advisors. I love this question. We're great. still not financial advisors, by the way. We are, we are terrible at that part, but I love this question. The kicker here is Scott is mm. a financial advisor. Mm -hmm. He thinks here that it is a behavioral bias, or uh, in other words, irrational, that people prefer the certainty of depreciation, and they will justify spending $500 a month or more mm -hmm. on a car payment with the uncertainty of repairs looming. Now, the reason I think they do that is because it's new. Generally speaking, anything new should be fine. Well, while, that's the thing. Right? They, they would, but he's, his point is he's liking our cheap car challenge because he's saying people would rather spend that 500 bucks a month on quote-unquote new, no problems, versus right. less money on used, but I'm not sure. Right, exactly. So instead of losing $6,000 a year in depreciation, then risk you know having $2,000 in repairs on an off car. So 
what do we think? Should you spend that new car payment and th- and think because sometimes something will happen and mm-hmm. you will end up having repairs and generally speaking warranties are pretty good now and car manufacturers really want to take care of you in general that's a general blanket statement <laughs> yeah fair fair it's not specific everybody's going oh, that's not me what if we spent less money on our cars and bought a little bit older a little bit not as new and pretty and nice maybe not all the tech mm-hmm. but we spent a little bit less but knowing going into that there's going to be less depreciation but we're going to have to spend a little bit more on maintenance Where's the tipping point, I think, is what you're asking. Well, the other thing he's talking about here is the fact that it's the money you see versus the money you don't. If I buy a car that depreciated $6,000 this year, I don't see that money leaving my wallet. You don't feel it. But if I spent $2,000 on repairs at the mechanic, I watched that leave. Yeah, you see that on your credit card. So as a result, result, people typically will buy the new thing. That's Scott's point. But the question he's asking here is, does this make us – and I love this side question. I want to go on. I've got a rant coming, (laughs) Scott. This is pretty good. It's got layers. I love it. Would we ever then, therefore, just recommend people buy cars that are on the bottom of the depreciation so we're not having that at all? This is definitely a financial advisor's question. It certainly is. It's got got financial – we're going to get in trouble. There's a room full of rakes and hand grenades right here. It's all bad. Scott, this is why we're tackling the brand new cheap sports car challenge because we've done the big sedans and now we're thinking, all right, let's apply to the very bottom of that depreciation cycle. I have yet to receive my car. I'm – as frustrated you guys are, I'm ready. Apparently, it was in Texas. It got and on stuck the way. in a. It, it legitimately it got stuck in a stuck. hurricane. <laughs> it did. The cheap sports yep. car challenge already has drama because your car sat on sat in a truck through a hurricane and is now moving again. Yeah, I'm hoping. I hoping it's here in two days. So hopefully, by the time you hear this podcast, it'll be here. But anyway. That's exactly our thought too. Even though we're not applying the same sort of square math that you are here. It really comes down to people's taste. And the mm-hmm. reason we buy new cars is because it's new. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. And what manufacturers know and trade on, it's it's not always better. And that's our thinking when we come into test driving various things. Sometimes we'll think, well, this is the new thing. I like the old styling better. And yeah, it's got some new tech, but I don't think it's worth it. Don't mm-hmm. pay new. Go get that two or three year old, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the tail end of the old model cycle. Go get that car, mm-hmm. save yourself some money rather than buying new. But people love warranties. Mm-hmm. People love them. If it has a warranty on it, you will buy it because it's the peaceful feeling in your heart. It's not necessarily connected to reality. <laughs> it's not. But if you have that peace, I'm a kind of guy that likes to be sold. If somebody is knowledgeable on whatever it is, it can't be where I'm standing at Best Buy and I ask the person, hey, what's the difference between these two hard drives? And they turn the package over and start reading it to me. <laughs> no, I no. can read the package. I can do that. Thank you for printing the package. <laughs> if I'm sold, whether it's clothing or mm-hmm. electronic equipment, whatever that is, I like a knowledgeable person. But then when they say, and you know what? To make you feel all better and to wrap up that sale right now, it comes with a warranty. Done. Okay. <laughs> it's got a warranty. Rather than really thinking it through to your point, Scott, and that is, what if I spend a lot less and there's now a anxiety level mm-hmm. that goes with that? That's a, what we experienced on a huge level because yeah. Yeah, the yeah. price was low, rock bottom for both Crazy those big sedans, low. but the anxiety went the other direction. True. Scott, I'll go actual financial planning on you. And I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I am like the little kid in the ring with the Goliath right now, even taking you on. But <laughs> Scott's I, but, ready. But He's here's ready my thought. Here's my thought. I think that the average person has this issue. 
if I know my car, I'm just going to pick numbers. If I know my car is going to cost me $350 a month mm-hmm. and it's going to cost me $50 a month to insure and it's going to cost me $150 in gas, I know because that car's got a warranty that there's nothing that's going to break that I have to pay for. I know how much is leaving the bank this month. That's true. People that's true. have a reverse problem of saving, and I've, I've, I am here, of saving for disaster. And so if you're not away. saving yeah. for disaster, then Which may or may sudden, not happen. True. All of a sudden, I have an unexpected bill this month. So I'd rather tally up all my other numbers and know that much, that many hundred is leaving that's for me to budget. have a car every month. Budget. That's right. how much is leaving, no matter what, but I don't have to pay extra versus I paid a third of that, but there may be $1,000 looming this month. People are much more comfortable having the a lot of money is leaving. This is why we get new phones every year. Yeah. My yeah. phone is so expensive. It has a comma in it. What am I doing? <laughs> why, what am, so why on earth do I have this thing? Yeah. But I know how much leaves my account every month. Uh-huh. And I get a phone. It's the greatest thing ever. I better go one other twist that relates to a conversation I had at Cars and Coffee. Because Scott is asking, what about buying cars that aren't going to depreciate or buying cars for their resale value? Oh. Scott, fighting words. I hate this. I hate that thinking. Yeah, yeah. I had this conversation. This was a conversation I actually had uh, this, this weekend at Cars and Coffee. I was sitting there with Blair, and he was debating his next enthusiast car. Okay. We had a great conversation, but his whole thing was he's very concerned about the resale of a car he hasn't bought yet. Oh, that's going to drive and you nuts. There is there is no end to that. I oh. mean, look, I, I fell, literally fell into solving this problem with a Lotus Elise. They were t- they were thirty grand ten years ago. They're thirty grand now. I bought one three years ago, and it's still worth thirty grand. Yeah, but that's a rare. That on is, so many levels. That is a one off. It one is of one. a needle in a haystack. Yeah. But I'll tell you this: I would have bought that car if it was still depreciating. Who sure. cares? Because well, now you're with, touching on something. I want to talk. But yeah. with, because here's the thing: with the random exception exception of the Lotus Elises of the world, mm-hmm. they're all depreciating. Yeah. Just where'd you catch them on the curve? The rare car bounces and the even rarer car stops. Cars, as as crazy as it is to think this way, because we were talking earlier about cars could last forever. We want to throw money at them. Ultimately, from the day you roll them off the lot, they are slowly dying. They are slowly wearing out until they are a pile of dust. That's really where they're headed. Yes. Unless you want to keep a million mile Lexus throwing money at them. So trying to buy... This is the other thing about it. it. The people that buy cars, and we've had this conversation. It's a preciousness conversation. You buy a car and you keep it really, really nice so that it's really nice when you sell it. You've kept it nice for the next guy. Right. Right. So, oh, so buy your car. Use it. Enjoy it. Use it for everything you ever thought you might enjoy doing in it. And guess what? When you sell it, it's worth less. Yeah. But we could keep this going. Yes. We buy, we buy clothing. I don't buy nice clothing to begin with. But we buy clothing. Hoodies. You and in a few years later... We don't sell it. We typically give it away. That's true. Nobody's buying a shirt going, you know, let me calculate the in three years from now, what's this shirt worth? Ah, hmm. It's worn out. It's got a hole in it. You gave it away. It doesn't fit anymore. Your, your uh, niece or nephew decides they love it. You don't – you go, fine. Why, why do we expect cars mm. to hang on to – they're, they're losing Because they're value. more expensive. That's exactly. why. They're losing value because we, and we, we equate them with a house, which theoretically is safe. Yeah. It's going to gain. Well, Scott, it's rationality. We're going to keep going. Scott, here's the next three hours, man. We're, it's, it's, it's on. We're on today. <laughs> no kidding. Scott, you're applying rationality to an industry and an object that is entirely irrational. Because if we wait for the depreciation 
on the cars that we really want. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? You can't go to a dealer and order it exactly like you want. True. So to find the one that you want, you either take this one that you found, that mm-hmm. hidden gem. Yeah. That's why the bring a trailer effect is so crazy right yeah. now. <laughs> $60,000 Civics. Because quarter million what? dollar NSXs. No. The world has lost its mind. Yes, but it's that one. There's mm-hmm. not three of them. You're right. There's you're right. one. Mm-hmm. And come, you're now competing. Yeah. So it introduces irrationality but also competition mm-hmm. because now you're competing against the other person to get it it mm-hmm. doesn't matter if it's an auction or not it matters that you got it and you got it in the color that you always loved in that car mm-hmm. and i got the manual transmission that these should really be made with and it's the right thing with the right wheels and i, I love that car there's not five to choose from on a dealer lot yeah there's one for sale mm-hmm. of whatever that is so okay i'm willing to pay that depreciation and take the hit but over here, to Todd's point, if I just pay the monthly payment, I've got 10 to choose from on the lot. Mm-hmm. I can get my favorite color. And that's why salespeople tell you, what is your favorite color? Do you like the stereo? How does it sound? I'm going, oh, that's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter. How's the car drive? That's mm-hmm. what I'm caring about. If you introduce the irrationality part, it's one versus many in that sense. Well, and Scott, sorry, last thought that oh. just struck me as we're talking. This could be the next Grr. few hours. But here's the last Here's the last thing. No, the, Scott, I love this question. It's fantastic. We could talk over a beer for hours. I don't uh-huh. even drink. We could talk over a beer on this. I'm telling <laughs> you, that's, that's how crazy it is. It, it, it's going to get nuts. But, no, but here's the other thing that's insidious that we have to think about as car enthusiasts. And this is a place that will drive you as a financial advisor completely insane, Scott. We need people to buy the cars new. We need it yes. because the reason that the entire car industry right now is all about CUVs and SUVs is because that's the only thing people are really seeking out new. And the reason we're not getting really cool manual transmission sports cars is because people don't buy them new. The internet goes crazy and hates on everyone that comes out Uh and then they don't sell. The Supra is far better than people give it credit for. And so is the 86. Both of them have received Volumes of internet hate. Yes. The Z car, in spite of the fact that I think the styling needs to be fixed and was kind of a, what do you think, guys? I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Thank you. Please work on it, Paul. In spite of that, I'm thrilled Nissan's doing it. Yes, just that they're doing it. Yes, and if we don't buy sports cars, they'll stop making sports cars. And there was a critique on one of our YouTube videos, I forget what it was, where people felt like we weren't hard enough on a sports car. And my comment was, they made it. Yes, yes. Because... It exists. Uh, look, is is one sports car better than another? Yes. But am I going to treat a sports car better than yet another seven-seater? Absolutely. Even if it's bad because there's a sports car right there. Yeah, Somebody totally. please go buy it. <laughs> They'll stop making them if we don't. Ah, all right, I'm calmer. To take the last question for me, Crash Test 01 on Instagram asks, if we were the getaway driver for a bank robber, what car would you use? I've got it. Of note, there are four people total in your crew. You will be chased by the police in Dodge Chargers, and the getaway route is mostly weaving through city streets. I've got it. BMW X5 M Competition. Oh, that's pretty good. Because and you, need it, good. you need it in silver or white. Because when you wind up in a traffic jam, you just look like another SUV. And the camera pulls away from the shot and shows all the other traffic, and you're like, "Where did it go?" Uh, as much as good. as much as I love. In the ridiculous Michael Bay film, The Six, whatever. As much as I love that yes. great Julia in the world's most eye searing color, in the, that is the wrong choice. The X5M competition will blend with traffic and it will mm. vanish if you have any opening in, on the street. I, I like that better because it's an SUV. It'll just blend. Yes, it's just going to be there. Mm. Nobody notices. Thank you guys for all your questions. There's more here than we can get to for this round, but thank you. You've got, you've got some amazing stuff on your minds. Really, really appreciate it. 
I hope my car is coming soon. Yes. I can't I, wait to reveal this car. Everybody keeps guessing, it. and some of you are right. A few have been right. For sure, for sure, yeah. Most are wrong, but I can't wait to reveal and uh, share the entire Cheap Sports Car Challenge with all of you. We are buying at the bottom of the depreciation curve. Our buying video is coming very soon. We're going to live with these two cars for the exact reason. And if we get repairs coming down the pike, we're going to have to deal with them. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>